The sprinter isn't sprinting in the gym, basically, unless he has a track next to the gym, but he isn't really. He's lifting weights. And I'm not against lifting weights. I'm not against uh, stay, <laughs> not against uh, getting getting stronger. You just mentioned the 1.5 uh, times your uh, 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 body weight. Mm -hmm. So where does this number come from? Take a good deep block. Where does number come from? Those numbers are made out of well, basically nothing, nowhere. These numbers pop up. Yeah, in order to do drop jumps, you have to squat twice your body weight. Who come up with it? With it twice your body weight? Who invented this? I have no idea. I could, <laughs> I traced it back, and and the end is just a number that somebody threw in the air. Oh yeah, twice your your body weight in in uh, squats. Is he meaning half squats or, or quarter squats or full squats? Uh, what is he? What, what what's the meaning of that? Nobody could tell me. That was world-renowned educator, consultant, and speed coach Hank Kreienhoff speaking on purported strength to body weight ratios in preparation as a prerequisite for plyometric work, and if it actually came from somewhere substantial. Uh, you are listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 120 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. And today on the show, we have back 100 whole episodes later from his first appearance, uh, Dutch speed training expert, sports training um, expert and consultant, Hank Kreienhoff. I'm so happy to have Hank back. Uh, man, it's, it almost seems like yesterday that I uh, did my first episode with him back in the really early beginnings of this show. And uh, he was such an awesome sport. We had a lot of like technical difficulties the first time we did this. And, um, but he, he banged out the questions, had some awesome answers, and just a great guy to talk to. Um, first time I, I met Hank, and I probably mentioned this the first episode, was Jay DeMeo's seminar. He did a brilliant presentation on speed, super practical, had a lot of information on velocity-oriented weight training um, and how it wasn't necessarily new. Um, it's been coming up through like the 80s and has been something that's been around for a while. And again, that's another thing I really enjoy about talking with Hank is he's come up alongside these brilliant and famous sports scientists who have been putting these things into practice for years. He stands on results and practicality 
And in a world where there's so many either like shiny trading toys as a result of this, the growth oriented economy or uh, so many training theories out there. I mean, ultimately, it's the ability to put everything into a practice, the art of that that creates the results. And so it's fantastic to talk to Hank on that level. Today's show is fairly simple and straightforward and incredibly useful for any coach or athlete. Uh, we're going to cover the basic ideas of training transfer to athletic speed, what things transfer, what changes when you get in the weight room, uh, velocity-based training, what, how did it originate, and how was it being used over 25 years ago? How do we look at that for improving sprint power? One of the things we're really going to get into as well outside of the training transfer, which is certainly a common topic, is Hank's take on instability training and the, um, the use of that in the, the whole coordination training realm and some, some ideas and concepts in there, and he's going to give his take on that. He's also going to talk about wearable resistance means to improve speed, and this takes me back. Um, he's going to talk a little bit about something called Lila now. If you, you, Stephen Jones, cricket coach, big fan of it. I'm going to have to get me a, a set of this because I used to use the old Don BB thigh weights back in the day. And I mean, just talk about something as simple as it gets, right? Like just basic weights that, light weights that go on um, an area of your body like the thighs and something that can be simple, practical, and extremely effective and extremely specific. He's going to talk about utilizing that. He's also going to talk about how to get training down to the bare bones, the bare essentials and building from there rather than we tend to see everything that's shiny, look at Instagram or whatever, Twitter. Oh, man, I'm going to throw all this in the program. Um, Hank's had some tremendous success just doing pretty much specific training only in track and field athletes or running only, no plyos, no weights in, in particular cases. And he's going to talk about that and what we can learn from that. Finally, he is going to go into katsu or occlusion training in not only like a rehab type setting, which I think most of the research is in, but also applied performance settings, as well as ideas for maybe like what you could do if you were in a uh, very little space, had very little space and had to improve your um, aerobic and, and lactate tolerance abilities if you had to do like a 200 or 400 meter race. Well, 400 more than 200, I'd say. But anyways, you get my point. Anyways, this is a great uh, quick show. And it's always awesome to have Hank on. So enjoy episode 120 with Hank Kreienhoff. Let's get on to it. Hank, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Hey, well, it's it's wonderful to have you back. Uh, you're a, a coach and, and student of sports science that I've respected so much throughout the years. And uh, just been reading some stuff on your blog lately that's really got me uh, thinking and interested, as well as just things... Um, going on in the world of, of sports science and sport training, uh, one of the things I wanted to get into today was a little bit on training transfer, which is certainly a big word. Uh, we see a lot of interesting uh, methods and ideas of things that will hopefully transfer to a skill in either a predictable or unpredictable environment. And just to, just in general, so just in, in, in looking at something, if something's going to transfer to my sport and maybe something starting with something as simple as like the 100 meter dash uh, what are some things to look at when it comes to if an exercise will transfer to what you are trying to accomplish yeah well basically what you're trying to accomplish is running a faster 100 meters so first of what you first of all what you have to do is to look at the demands of the 100 meters and know the movement pattern of the 100 meters. And basically, it's the most simple sports there is. There's only three rules. <laughs> um, but uh, 100 meters is as fast as you can. That's number one. Number two, it's uh, unilateral. 
you move your center of gravity horizontally, not vertically. It's unloaded, and uh, you mainly use fast-switch fibers. It's also ballistic, so you have a contact time and a flight time. There's no continuous uh, uh, force uh, generation uh, in the muscle. The contact time with a heavy force peak and the flight time, which uh, the muscles are mainly unloaded. Uh, of course, they're contracting because otherwise you don't move, but you get the, the idea. Now, the, what you have to ask is transfer, and uh, uh, many things have been written about transfer already. The majority of books are written by uh, my good colleague Anatoly Bondacuk, but his, uh, his work is uh, hard to uh, comprehend for uh, coaches, so I like to keep it uh, uh, simple. Well, transfer is uh, the assumption, the hope, or maybe the knowledge or the experience that somehow the exercise you're executing right now or your athletes are executing will translate into a better performance, will help to run faster in a month from now, in a week from now, or in a couple of months from now. In order to, to judge the transfer, uh, looking at the demands of competition, you have to find exercises that more or less look like the demands of competition. Then the transfer is uh, 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 easier and better than some exercises which don't look like, uh, like the demands of competition at all. If you run 100 meters, uh, breaking your personal best in, 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 in bench press or in uh, biceps curl won't help you a lot because it had nothing to do with sprinting. Now, a step closer is doing full squats with, for instance, 400 pounds. Well, number one, full squats uh, are executed in a vertical way. Your center of mass is going uh, up and down instead of horizontally. It's going slow. It's bilateral. You take off with both legs at the same time. You're recruiting fast and slow fibers. And it's uh, uh, th because the load is high, the, the, the velocity which you move is, uh, is low. So it's very hard to find a, a good transfer from full squat to, uh, to running 100 meters, in my opinion. So whereas many coaches start uh, to do exercises just because the exercise exists and because they can, I'll come for the other end and start to uh, try to cut out exercises that have no trends or, or at least do not contribute to a better performance. And this is because the, the training load in modern athletes and modern uh, sports is very high. And any exercise that you're not sure of that they will help your athletes to run faster in the future, well, cut it out, cut it out. And, uh, and replace them by, ex by exercise that you do know that they will contribute to a better performance. So that's basically the, 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 the core of my concept. Yeah, it's, I, I do think um, it reminds me of a study too where that, that kind of indicates as long as your squat is of a, your basic body strength is of a decent enough level, like not even super strong, but mm -hmm. a, a one and a half times body weight that the half and the quarter squats are really a better way to go in terms of getting getting some sort of transfer beyond and then obviously let alone the velocity aspect of the equation I, I know you've talked a little bit too about that like if you um, like velocity drops and and how much to let um, how much could we if we were doing resistance training how much should we let a set drop off how many percentage yeah. points uh, how I mean yeah. what, are, what are some guidelines there in terms of looking at velocity and, and sporting skills well, in the 19, end of the 1980s, uh, beginning of the 1990s, we developed a concept here called power training. Now, power training is, it was always confused with strength training. Oh, you do power training, strength training, well, it's all the same. 
Um, well, it's not the same. And now it, it, it makes a kind of a comeback in the US called velocity-based training, which for me is already uh, uh, 30 years uh, uh, ago, that we really developed this con concept with coaches and with uh, sports scientists uh, to look at the optimal load to increase uh, strength. Yeah, absolutely. To increase power and to, to increase explosive strength. And um, <clears throat> so the movement velocity definitely plays uh, a role. I would say, well, the moment you get to the gym, forget about specificity or forget about transfer. Because in any gym, only very few athletes will, will do in the gym as they do in competition. Only the bodybuilder, the weightlifter, and the powerlifter can do in the gym what they do in competition. The sprinter isn't sprinting in the gym, basically, unless he has a track next to the gym, but he isn't really. He's lifting weights. And I'm not against lifting weights. I'm not against uh, stay, <laughs> not against uh, getting getting stronger. You just mentioned the 1.5 uh, times your uh, 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 body weight. Mm -hmm. So where does this number come from? Take a good deep look. Where does this number come from? Those numbers are made out of well, basically nothing, nowhere. These numbers pop up. Yeah, in order to do drop jumps, you have to squat twice your body weight. Who come up with it? With it twice your body weight? Who invented this? I have no idea. I could, <laughs> I traced it back, and and the end is just a number that somebody threw in the air. Oh yeah, twice your your body weight in in uh, squats. Is he meaning half squats or, or quarter squats or full squats? Uh, what is he? What, what what's the meaning of that? Nobody could tell me. So forget about those so-called guidelines. Would have no basis uh, or uh, whatsoever. Yeah, I feel like with the drop jumps and the depth jumps especially, and I think the way I've put it together in my mind at least for saying, okay, like, is your baseline level of strength, whatever that means, right, there's a lot of forms of it good enough. I, I just, I kind of look at it as the ability to produce adequate muscular tension, and yeah. there's a little bit more tension in a full range of mo movement, but someone with long femurs or short femurs or, like, the people who are built to do depth jumps and hurdle hops well probably... We'll never get to a double body weight deep, true deep squat because they're. Hey. I mean, in many cases, because it's just something they're not really meant to do. They're probably better geared towards. I've always, I, I, I've caught, that caused me a lot of grief because I always felt like I was too weak for so many years because I kept reading hey, that. Absolutely, look at the challenging, uh, the challenging thing. How much can a cat squat or a kangaroo? <laughs> How many times is body weight? And they're jumping uh, eight, eight meters far. It's, uh, it's uh, twenty-five uh, 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 feet. Without uh, lifting twice, uh, it's 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 body weight in, in in squats. So yes, if you're designed for plyometrics, do it. And some people are just not designed for plyometrics. No matter how 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 how, how strong they uh, become, because their body is not designed for that. That, that that's 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 a, uh, unfortunately a fact of life. Yeah, it is almost like you wonder if there's like a little bit of where that number came from. Because right, where did it come from, right? Was it, I don't think it came from like true laboratory studies or even like, the, I guess you could even say whatever the Soviets were doing. I doubt, I, I you look at the way those jumpers are built and you just kind of, it's kind of hard to believe in some respects. But you almost wonder <laughs> if it's people who are jealous, like who are people who are really strong in the gym and watching the people jump and sprint by and, well, I could squat double my body weight, but they're jealous. So, they, uh, you guys have to do this too before you're allowed to do any of that plyometric stuff. Yeah, don't forget that body weight is a much more important factor. If you weigh uh, uh, 250 or 300 pounds, well, and and you might squat even three times your your body weight. There's, 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 
then still you're in terrible danger by doing drop jumps, no matter how strong you are, because uh, just in the end, the the, the uh, kinetic energy with which you come down is, is just uh, tremendous. So uh, you will still be in trouble in the long term if you do it, uh, make too many jumps. Yeah, I it's um I like the the term I think you've used is like jumping is for cats, not cows. You, you mentioned the cats <laughs> idea, and I I thought of this myself. Like you you see a cheetah running or a cat, and it's like hard to imagine. Like, well, would would trying to rig a squat or resistance like a vertical nonetheless, you know, as opposed to horizontal resistance setup on that animal and having them like go up and down is that going to make the best? <laughs> like I don't I don't see a cheetah running and necessarily think like. It just really changes your your perspective on things. I you you mentioned something actually. I'd love if you expanded on it. Is um, the idea of like the the weight room doesn't meet the horizontal speed that's coming up when you're actually running. Like the the need to mitigate hor- horizontal velocity. And so, I, I mean, is there really anything in the gym that could like? I mean, it, like you said, as soon as you step foot in the gym, I mean, that's probably the number one kind of disqualifier that's going to keep that gym exercise only at a at a particular level. I imagine. Well, what you see uh, nowadays is that, that uh, people think, okay, sprinters, look at their bodies, they are strong. So what we do to, to in order to sprint, and believe me, especially in, in Holland where the weather in winter or in Europe where the weather in winter isn't that good, it's easy to hide in the weight room, get much uh, stronger, do all kinds of cool exercises with all kinds of cool toys and, 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 and gadgets instead of going out there and, and, and sprinting and and getting really, really tired of sprinting at at a, at a high level, the longer tempo runs and so on. So people like to hide in the weight room and the coaches as well. So what you see is people are overly strong compared to their, their sprinting speed. People are squatting hundreds of pounds and they run 100 meters uh, in, in 12 seconds. And that's completely out of proportion. That's why I see much more often than people who are really weak and just sprint very fast. Yeah, I, I and with the with the indoors too. I mean, it, it's it's an interesting situation a lot of times. And and I, I know I used to have to. I was in that situation myself when I was coaching full time track and field in Ohio, and it was yeah. snowing and cold, and you just had to make these decisions on what to do and where to go. I uh, I was going to ask you also. So, uh, so either in the context of either sprinting or complex skills like like team sport. Uh, I know, uh, like instability and, and unpredictability training is seems to be fairly popular. Um, no, especially where you're at. Um, but what's your take on some of that stuff, like the water bag training and um, this this idea of creating a more robust um, athlete uh, in in using those those training means? Uh, it's a good. Um... One colleague of mine once said, it's a great theory. I wish it was true. Uh, and, um, well, if there's the best thing you can do with a water bag is throw it away as far as you can. Because I'm pretty sure it's not going to help you. You have 24 hours a day, 144 hours a week. And tinkering with a, a, a water bag, overhead water bag to create instability and to increase core stability, uh, sorry, that's not going to be of any help. Uh, I wish Charlie Francis uh, was still alive, and he is held in uh, high respect in uh, throughout the U.S. as uh, because he's out about sprint coach. And well, he would give a pretty undiplomatic answer, I guess, if we're talking about instability and about uh, water bags. I'm pretty sure, as a matter of fact, he would he would do that. And uh, I'm just the same. Where does it come from? It comes, of course, from the world of fitness. And the fitness world has to come up with a new gadget or a new idea 
from Buns of Steel to Jane Fonda, from Reebok Steps to you name it, to TRX. Uh, TRX is the same. It's, it's, it's a great way to spend your hour in the gym. But it isn't of any help to make an athlete run faster from A to B or to, to create a great athlete, uh, uh, for sure. I would say don't waste the time uh, uh, with the water bag. Just, just sprint. Run a 60-meter standing start full speed. That's more helpful to you than, 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 than uh, uh, fooling around with a water bag and instability things. Robust athletes... Uh, I doubt if if if, if, uh, if Usain Bolt has ever seen a, a water bag, uh, and there's no doubt that he's a very robust athlete, nonetheless. Yeah. You know, robustness come. The question is, does robustness come from good sprinting technique and being designed like a sprinter and training the right way, not making too many mistakes and leaving out all the other new stuff? Let me say new stuff. Uh, I think it is. Yeah, one of the things I think about, um, and this particularly from um, the a podcast I with John Kiley, I do think about coordination, but I think about, and just about like, more so like a problem for an athlete to solve where they, they might make a, like a mistake or something like that, like introducing some sort of, I think about introducing some sort of um, situation into training. But I guess in, in sprinting particularly, there's always, uh, I mean, it doesn't, you wouldn't think how I mean it, it still should be as specific as possible to the context of what you're actually doing or maybe I guess you could even say like just like a stumble out of the blocks or something like that's kind of yeah. a problem to solve or like um, I know a, a colleague of mine Adarian Barr has talked to me about that like the, the when people stumble like now your system has to reorganize and it's a little more specific to what might actually happen in the course of a race I I, I mean I, I know too like I, Chris Corfus to a I believe we, we both know is we'll like put the pieces of track down or like it's like a it's like a little, a little switch step. I mean, do you think there's um, do you think there's value in like as long as it's specific to like pretty specific to the race itself, um, like little I guess you could call them little problems to solve within the actual sprint. Well, basically, I to prevent uh, problems to happen. As a matter of fact, I. I... I only saw one athlete once, uh, or my athletes, uh, stumble from the blocks. It was uh, at the World Championships in the finals when Ellie Kuhlman became world champion and she was taking off so vigorously from the blocks like never before. And the track wasn't uh, uh, fixated or glued to the to the uh, underlying surface, so she kind of slipped and, and she corrected very well. You can even see it on the, on the, on the tape. Um, well, that's the only. But normally, I try to prevent people from 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 making those mistakes. That's why you have the training for. So I don't need to introduce those things uh, to, or, and for sure not too often as a kind of a variation. It would be uh, uh, very interesting. But why not? Uh, why not stick to the to the plans? Stick to the core work, which is uh, sprinting. That's already a challenge uh, more than enough. So don't bring any more extra challenges. You can sprint with your hands on your head or with your hands behind your back or you can sprint with uh, whatever which is good for a variation or you're working with uh, the average athlete but does it really uh, uh, do anything substantial anything uh, relevant and significant to running faster well there's one way to find out just do it all the time and nothing else so let me take this this uh, this uh, uh, comparison a little bit uh, further. You compare it to superfood. What is a superfood? A superfood is something. It's the only thing you eat for three months, and still you look good and you're healthy. That's a superfood. Well, 
you can try it. Uh, when most superfoods will fail, where the potato will do pretty well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and the same applies to training. If this is really going to help, then, well, why do any other exercises in the first place? So if running with a water bag or exercise with a water bag or any exercise would really help, then why do you still do starts on the blocks or still do maximum speed? So you have to find that these, these exercises have to be in somehow superior the, uh, to, to the normal exercise that you, that you always do. And I know they're kind of boring, and I know we call, can call it old school, but this is the thing of the old school until Usain Bolt or, or even with Usain Bolt, people run 9.58 with old school. Look at Usain Bolt, he running old school. So uh, if any exercise or... Uh, 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 exercise or concept is is making a is having a superior impact on the on the performance of athletes. I would be the first one to apply and to try. But unfortunately, I tried many things and um, many promises, but they were never fulfilled. Uh, this, this is the the golden exercise of the cool exercise. You need to do this. Uh, this is going to be the an extra dimension to your training. And unfortunately, until now, nothing happened. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, that's something I always kind of live by in, in the sense of I always want to make sure if I'm using anything in my training or any sort of derivative of a sprint movement, um, yeah. I want to see that the athlete will actually run better or faster immediately as a result of the skill they picked up from what we were doing. And if they don't, <clears throat> probably didn't help very much. Like that's kind of always my short-term guideline, at least how, I mean, that's, I, I would imagine, like, because, like you said, if if it really helps, like, you should see the impact, like, you should see the 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 motor transference of what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. So even if you close your eyes a little bit, it should look like sprinting. Well, of course, sprinting is not the only thing. Of course, we lift weights, we do power training, we do frequency exercise, we do plyometrics, of course, but. Uh, and never to the extent that it will take the place of real sprinting. There's only one way to run fast. It's, it's, it's basically running fast. And then you do some other things, what might help to run fast. And then there's a, another, let me say, circle of exercise around which might help. And there's a circle around of absolutely useless crap, which, which doesn't help anyone to run faster. And that circle is getting bigger and getting closer to, to sprint training. You see all kinds of really cool exercises, uh, very creative people, which are, hey, uh, I invented this new exercises or this new uh, uh, toy. But in the end, you should really be critical and have a, a, a critical question, question yourself. Is this really going to make me faster or just just a, uh, an idea to waste my time and to waste my money on? Yeah. Yeah, I think that the simplest means are always the, the best ones. And, um, oh, I was going to ask, too, before I got to the next question, too, that, that race that Nelly Kuman won when she stumbled, how was, what was the, was the time in that compared to her other races? How was that? It was, uh, it would have been as fast if, uh, because it was a, a temporary track in Indianapolis. It was temporary, so every time you put your foot on the track and pulled, uh, <laughs> You, you pull the thing backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so she ran 7.06 and her world record, it was the year before, 7.00 at a little bit of okay. altitude. So she was running as fast or or, or, or maybe even uh, e even faster. If you take all the factors, I think it would be 7.00 or 7.01, so not uh, slower because she 
compensate and probably the shock of of of, of this happening you know when you stumble you squeeze out a lot of adrenaline mm-hmm. uh, even might have made a win yeah i was that's what i always wonder i i uh, one of my mentors darian bars got me thinking of the uh, when an athlete stumbles they often still can run very very fast it's like they're a little like subtle reset of the system or like you said adrenaline shot and, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's free. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yes, yeah, yeah, legal exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's that's good stuff. Uh, okay, so I wanted to get then to to we talk about specificity in, in transfer and speed. So, uh, in terms of probably the the most apparent way to get like a, a transfer effect would be like resist resisted or assisted sprinting. Uh, just to, you know something that's subtle. It's still all everything is else is still there pretty well. Um, so what's your take on using um, resistance resistance to improve speed? Specifically, um, the question I have is uh, wearable resistance uh, to improve speed. Yeah, uh, wearable resistance is something relatively new. We have been wearing resistance in the form of weight vest, but they were heavy, bulky, and all centered around, uh, around the upper body. Now, the wearable resistance you can use on your... Uh, lower arm, your upper arm, your thighs, your calf, your, your, your tibialis, your glutes. You can, you can stick them everywhere. And they're lightweight. They're lightweight. They don't drop off. You start sprinting. They're lightweight. And it's basically the leverage giving you the, the load. It's not the weight itself. It's only 200, uh, 150 grams, which is almost nothing compared to a barbell or a dumbbell or anything else. But it's just the leverage. And you can specifically mimic the exercise. So now you can sprint with uh, uh, the extra load will, will give you the specific strength. It's the most specific form of strength training if you execute it well. And you can also focus on certain different exercises or different muscle groups that you really want to, to focus on, like the hamstrings or the psoas muscle. Uh, so it, 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 for me, it's a, it's a, no matter how simple it is, it's a, it's a great leap forward in, 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 the specific, in training of specificity. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of I, I, this is back. Well, is, is the resistance you're talking about? I know I saw, um, Stefan Jones, who's been on this podcast before, who trains cricket players, um, has shown something called, he, it's called like Lila. I don't know if that's it. It's like the little, yeah, uh, that's it. That's it. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. yeah the pyramidal yeah. shape. They're like little, uh, little pyramids. Maybe I'll have to put yeah, in the show. Yeah, exactly. Now. Like drop or pear shape. Yeah. Or fuse, fusiforms. Uh, yeah. And so, okay, yeah. cool. And so that basically that, um, allows you to sp- overload like specific muscles really so and obviously without even having to get you know necessarily even say anything to the athlete then you could use it for technique as well as strength in the uh development of sprinting. try to run 150 meters with uh, one or two kilograms extra load on your psoas on your hamstrings <laughs> on your calves you you know it, it it works i mean no matter the athletes uh, first day athletes when, when they uh, uh see this for the first time say thank i was going to this is going to make me stronger i mean this is way too light, you know, I'm really strong. I was at 200 grams. Well, wait until they start sprinting with it and finish the workout. You'll see. Yeah. So this was the heaviest thing I ever did, you know. I felt like a Robocop, and it was only, well, less than, than one kilogram, less than two pounds. So that, that, that's, that, that's uh, interesting. And as a matter of fact, uh, what I did immediately is uh, test with EMG to see and, uh, and do measurements in, in all kinds of exercises, but mainly in sprinting, to see... Does it really work? Does it really change something? And and is it uh, is it uh, uh, is it still specific? Well, you can see it's still sprinting. Even uh, uh, no doubt about it. You can barely see the, the decrease in in, uh, in 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 running speed uh, there. And you see a little bit increase in contact time. You see a little bit longer stride length instead of a shorter stride length. But of course, it all depends on the weight 
it all depends on the placing and it all depends on, on what weight you're using. Uh, that's absolutely, and, and the level of the athlete, that's absolutely true. Cool. Now you think you can, between you and Stefan, I think you can, guys convinced me. So it actually reminds <laughs> me, well, that's cool that you said it increases the stride length because I could see like if you have more weight, uh, obviously at the, at the point outside of the, the fulcrum, you're going to swing, then there's a little bit more force behind that, that's yep. knee swinging forward, which yep. is crazy. But then the, yep. the ground kind of can't time I well, think about it yeah. in former days uh, the the original greek uh, long jumpers i mean the classic greek olympic games had the long jump and the long jump with uh, with uh, the weights you know two big rocks in their hands and with the rocks they jumped faster and uh, jumped further than without the rocks oh yeah, y- yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's just an example that the extra weight uh, might might uh, might uh, uh, improve performance instead of uh, decrease uh, performance yeah like the, the halters i think they were called yeah 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 exactly exactly uh that's that's awesome i uh yeah because actually the the next episode this it will have gone before this one goes but uh david weck with these he's got those little pulsers or hand weights and but they're like eight ounces and they they shake and people run faster with them in their hands than without them just because it's like this it's like this feedback as to the the four what the arms are doing and yeah. I was thinking, I was like, what if you had those on your hands and then put the, the little, like, Lila's on your, your legs? You know, it's just be an issue. Of course, your ground contact on may still be longer. It's still not the exact same thing. But I'm. Uh, yeah. it's just interesting with those little, subtle, simple, not overly complicated manipulations the actual sprint movement can do. Yeah, well, of course, there have been wearable weighted resistance or specific reason before, like uh, tennis, heavy tennis records or... Uh, heavy bets and so on, swing with two two bets, but don't forget that that's 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 putting things on the uh, on the uh, extreme periphery of the of the of the movement and not throughout the movement itself, you know, because the movement is more like the arm or the leg. Look at it; it's like a whip with a big handle, and it gets faster and 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 uh, and uh, and uh, needing less force uh, uh, all the way to the end. Think about javelin throwing. It starts with the legs, and then the mm-hmm. trunk, and then uh, the shoulder, and then the upper arm, the lower arm, and then the wrist, and then the hand, and the end, the fingers. So it's basically like a whip. Now, when you put heavy load on the on the end of the the, the whip in your hands only, then it distorts the the the, the order of uh, movement. It, it distorts everything. So now you can put uh, the the let's say the 200 grams on your trunk, the 100 grams of your upper arm, and and the 50 grams on your lower arm. So this is interesting. Yeah, I, I could think de- it's a very valuable tool. Yeah, I, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I could definitely see too, like the Lila. If you were to put it on your like the the end of your foot, that would be pretty brutal. Like, you know, it would be uh, in terms of where that extremity, the, that extremity force coming through, especially too, where there's a little less, uh, there's a little less potential rotate for rotation there. Yeah, and, and exactly <laughs> where the arms can can spin and, and put it in supinate a little quicker, but. The uh, no, totally. Because I was thinking about that. I was like, well, you could put it on your calves, but that would be pretty gnarly. Because the the force on the hamstring, as it is, is what ten times in the swing through, anyways. And now you're putting, like you were saying, it even a little teeny light weight can um, compound itself. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So this this is uh, this is something that is hard to see, but the athlete can feel it, and you have to have a develop an eye for it or what is good. It's a little, a little tinkering, and most coaches won't like it. I'm pretty sure. Number one, they want to put on more weights and more weights, like mm-hmm. uh, like the athlete really looks like Robocop. That's number, that's one <laughs> trend I can I can already predict. And the second one is that they throw it away because they don't know 
when to put it. There's no protocol for it because the protocol depends on the athlete, the level, your target, what you want to accomplish, uh, 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 how you want to put it, uh, how many. It depends on what you want to accomplish, everything. So then things become easy. But most coaches like set protocols, tell them what to do exactly, and then they are able to follow it, but not think for themselves in a creative way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, it, I love how you said that, the trend. Because like, as soon as you introduce something, like I look at like the Lila, it's like, oh, this is fun. It's like, And then all of a sudden it could be a kid in a candy store, right? Like everything, it's like, put it yeah. out, just put it everywhere. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And then, well, it's better to take a weight vest or, or you call this old-fashioned, uh, uh, the, the knights from the Middle Ages, those, those, uh, those uh, steel harnesses, you know, where they... Tung, 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 like more mm-hmm. like yeah indeed more like robocop yeah uh, something like that yeah yeah uh, well yeah that's good i you know it's funny actually i remember so i had this training tool and it's funny because this died out right like it just shows i think that i and i don't know why it did uh it was a, a football player named don Beebe who ran like a really fast 40 yards back it's like 15 years ago actually more yeah. shoot probably 20 um, and it was called like the power trim and it was, uh, it was thigh weights and they were, they were held on, you wore a belt and then there was a little stirrups and the, the, the weights went on your thighs and they were just like between one and two or three pounds. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it has been around, but it, 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 it wasn't really feasible because you know, those things you know, were flying all over the place when you started running with it, you have to fixate it with, with a uh, tape or with uh, rubber bands and then you couldn't place them and they oh of course your lie your your thigh is bigger than around your knee so they they really fell down and everything it was bothersome this is just a perfect uh, time for the perfect tool uh, that i see yeah it's the most specific form of training yeah 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 because i used that and i liked it like i ran 40s in it and i felt like especially when oh, i yeah. would take it off at the end, it's like oh this is great this is way better than a weight vest but yeah, and yeah. I and you know I I did notice that it, it, there were times where the the weights were like the way that those thigh weights were aligned was a little cumbersome. It would, yeah. the, they would come off or whatever, and um, yeah, maybe that was part of the reason. But I always liked that. I was like, man, this is this is great, and, I, want, and I haven't seen it anymore. If you want to create elite athletes, especially in sprinting, throw away the water back and buy uh, buy the wearable resistant stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I always noticed. Yeah, and again, that was something too where. It's like instant improvements. See, you take run with it, then take it off, and you're probably gonna feel the the neural overload Absolutely. from Absolutely. what you yeah. just did. Whereas I yeah. don't. I mean, I've never used a water bag, so I don't know. But but uh, yeah, I could. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, okay. So another question I wanted to ask you. This is probably very similar. It's similar to the transfer, really. But you had recently posted an example of a 400 meter runner's training program with basically there were no weights, no plyos. It was all just running. It was either you know extent. It was tempo or speed or you know it was yeah. there was nothing but sprinting. Um, so with this in mind, and I'm sure a lot of really high level 400 meter, even 200 meter, um, maybe even 100 meter runners have had these. Um, have had success like that. So it's like when, well, if that's the case, now when when do we want to think about adding other stuff in? And if we're going to, uh, you know, what's what's a little process or thought with, with something like that? <laughs> Interesting question, <laughs> Interesting. Well, first of all, this wasn't uh, a voluntary choice. It was more or less forced by lack of time coming back from an injury. When I got this new athlete, he was injured. Coming back and, uh, well, there was no time to do anything else. Just stick to the, to the, to the, primary exercises and when there's time we could do something else but there was no time and it had to be uh, a little bit careful with loading him he never lifted weight so you get a new athlete he was running under 45 seconds uh, start lifting weights all of a sudden when he come back from an injury he never did it before 
there is a kind of a risk uh, there. He might improve, but he might not. So leave the weights out and just keep the running. What makes him good? Running 300s and 500s and 150s and 200s. And yeah, he has to start from the block once in a while. But lifting weights and plyometrics, the risk of injury is uh, is uh, is uh, 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 bigger than by just pure running. Because if you cannot run 300 in the in the in the training, then your 400 uh, out in competition won't won't do anything. And just lifting weights for sure doesn't make you a, a great 400 meter runner if that's the only thing you do. So it was not really. Uh, it was number one um, uh, by uh, force. It wasn't a, a choice. But doing that, I learned that by only doing the core thing, the, the I say like uh, Jamie Oliver, the, the naked chef, you know, only uh, don't use 25 herbs and and all kinds of uh, of interesting things. No, no, only keep the core work and see how far you get. And he got very far. So maybe think, okay, why am I doing all these other things then? Uh, what's the contribution? Well, less than I thought it was. So I started continuing with this idea. And, and and made this well basically just come to keep it specific as much as possible then when you need to change something and sometimes you need to change something when you see it there's a real deficit there in strength for instance you can see a deficit or when you see explosive strength uh, uh, the question is always how strong do you need to be in order to run how explosive do you need to be in order to run a fast hundred meters because many times the the uh, uh, People confuse between between uh, uh, what you need in, in what you do in training and what you need in competition. So some people, uh, as an example, I've seen athletes uh, say, "Okay, if jumping is very important, let's increase our, our explosive strength by doing lots of vertical jumping, There's lots of vertical jumping, and lots of vertical jumping, and lots of vertical jumping, and they became great vertical jumpers." But they forgot that you have to run as well. And so on the track, nothing happened. But the vertical jump improved a lot. They were breaking all the records of vertical jumps. But they didn't get any faster. So you just don't overdo it. Keep things in perspective. That's an important lesson to learn. Oh, certainly. Um, yeah, I think that's something that I've fallen the trap of or just noticed myself. I've my, Across my life, I've been a much better uh, jumper. And then eventually, mm -hmm. weightlifter, as, the more I got into that, then than a sprinter and it was just like the more i realized the mechanical differences and uh yeah. muscular differences between the two it's just like yeah, yeah it's it's uh you gotta sprint and, and sprint with fast people nonetheless too um uh, and don't get me wrong i'm not against water bags i might even use it in the training once or twice you know just for fun just that the athlete has a hard day and uh, he has a the final exams at school or something, or at a, a fight with a, a partner or parents or something. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's do something else. Let's see the challenges out there and do something completely different, but not as a, as a, as, a, as an essential part of my my, uh, my the, the training exercises or the the, the the programming. That that's not the intention. So, again, I'm not nothing against weight. You got the people are, are strong. I like weightlifting. I like strong people. Uh, there's nothing against. We lift weight. We do lift weights. But I want to keep things in perspective. Uh, one person might need to get stronger than another person. Uh, you have to look at the individual, not at your plan or your concept. You have to look at the, at the individual needs of the athlete and the demands of competition. 
Yeah. And that's something that's often forgotten uh, nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly love strength training too. I, and I've kind of learned my lessons from when I have gotten carried away from it. Um, but yeah, like you said, yeah, there's different levels that each in- individual athlete needs to get stronger. And I think that's always the important thing to remember. Uh, last thing, and this probably has to do with strength training. So it's, I'm excited to ask you this question. Because again, this is one of those things like, just like kind of like with the water bags a little bit, I haven't really used it a lot. I've used this one a little bit, actually. I'm not really sure exactly what to make of it. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, potential uh, upsides, but katsu training uh, with the occlusion, so where you're occluding, where you're tying a band around a limb and you're choking off the oxygen <clears throat> or the blood and, and suppose, or hopefully yeah. more fast-stretch muscles will um, proliferate themselves. So uh, what's your take on yeah. that? And then it could be of use uh, to athletes because I think a lot of it's been in the rehab setting or something like that. Yeah, katsu has been used, has been invented in 1966 by a Japanese uh, doctor, basically, and uh, no, it found its way to sports, it found its way to elite sports, it's in the US uh, uh, as well, and I think it's a useful uh, thing, if you, uh, sometimes I, when more endurance oriented, I, I choose for katsu, doing drills with katsu, and then take them off and then things get better because uh, the, the blood flow, uh, uh, in a reactive way, the blood flow is uh, improved to the muscles. So, yeah, also for two and four meter runners, of course, that have to learn how to work under uh, under uh, lack of oxygen or hy- local hypoxia. I think it's a useful uh, uh, addition to training, just like uh, like uh, the whaleboat resistance is. But you have to, don't overdo it. Don't 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 just and, and this is my problem with with my colleagues uh, as uh, coaches. Well, they've seen cards and think, okay, now let's just uh, uh, wrap a, a strong band around my arms and my legs and my, my, my neck as well then, why not? And then lift some weights, uh, do, do some weightlifting with it and stand on an unstable platform with it. They, they, they throw it all at it. So uh, it's useful, absolutely. It's a great uh, tool. It's, it's, it works. There's a lot of research about it that it works and how it works. It increases growth hormone output and everything. But it's not the only thing that I would do. It's not the only thing that I would do. I would, uh, and only if you're, if you can handle the normal load well. If you can sprint, don't try to sprint with katsu. If you can sprint normally, decently, and you stumble over your own legs, please don't try any whaleboat resistance. You know the athlete has to has a decent level, and if you can't go any further and you're looking for something extra, then these things come into play. Don't don't play your trump cards in the beginning of the game, you know. And those, these are some trump cards that you keep for athletes who have reached a certain level and can't go any further. Yeah. So with the the katsu too. So just for someone who would want to, let's say, increase sprint speed and the idea of the occlusion, is that something that you could actually wear while running, or should it really just be done in resistance training type work? No, absolutely, absolutely. You can wear it uh, uh, running as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. And then uh, it might even increase uh, recovery. You can use it in warming up. There's many uh, ways to apply it. And also the running drills itself, high knees and uh, and uh, the, the ABCs and everything, you can use it there as well. So the muscle learns how to work properly and to uh, still coordinate uh, 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 with a high, low level of oxygen and with a higher level of lactic acid in it. And so the muscle will accordingly adapt to that. Sure. So, yeah. So for for cold, cold winters in uh, Holland, you, you hey, could absolutely. do... A, a, your your mock drills with the katsu if you had to if you if it was if it was really too brutal outside yeah absolutely it, it, it will a lot of katsu will be used this winter and not by me <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah. okay well awesome that's all the questions i have for you hank so but thank okay. you so much I, it was always good talking to you love your expertise and uh, i'm gonna have to get a lila now so i uh, appreciate it okay. all man. <laughs>
Do it, do it, please. <laughs> okay. That wraps up episode 120. So at almost exactly 100 episodes apart, Hank makes his second appearance on the show. Always good talking to him. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest. In the meantime, don't forget, visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. Great blog, great training tools. You will love their website. Also, job board and lots of other cool stuff. Finally, uh, if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate. Leave us a rating or review, iTunes, Stitcher. I would totally appreciate it. I know I do get a lot of uh, really cool feedback on this show. So uh, if you've taken the time to reach out to me, um, I always appreciate it as well. Show us some love and show us, uh, send us a rating or give us a rating. You don't really send it to us, but you know the deal. iTunes, Stitcher, uh, throw up some stars on there and uh, would love that. So we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.